0: Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. In our Bible reading today, we're looking at Matthew chapter 4. We're also looking at 1 Samuel chapter 4, I believe it's through 7, yep, and I'm not going to be able to comment on 1 Samuel, there was so much there as you probably saw if you were able to read some of that today and I'll only be able to comment on Matthew chapter 4, that's where I was today, that's what struck my heart and so I want to share what actually touched my heart to share that with you. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, and we're just going to read, I believe, 11 verses today. And here's what it says, starting in verse 1. This is what it says. It says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle uh, of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Now that's a misquote from Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12. That's what the devil does. He twists and distorts and misquotes the word. And Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you fall down And worship me. And Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I want you to underline, serve him only. This is a profound statement. It's right out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to reference that today. But that's what Jesus says. It's about serving God only. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. This is a very Powerful, a very potent passage of scripture for for many reasons. And I would like to frame some of this up because it's important that we not only see the actual occurrence, the context, but there's a greater context which we find throughout the Word of God. Why did Jesus go into the wilderness led by the Spirit? Why was he subject to the temptation of the devil? How did all this occur? Why did all this occur? There's a framework that we have to understand for this that I think is very important. First of all, in Matthew chapter three, you might remember that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. Now remember this, Jesus was sinless at this point. He was born of a virgin. He did not come through the line of Adam, therefore he did not inherit a sinful nature. We know that uh, Jesus was the eternal son of God. He subjected himself to be born into the likeness of human flesh. He was conceived uh, through the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit, not born through the line of Adam. So this is very important because Jesus did not have the sinful nature, even though he was subjected to temptation. Therefore, he could choose to sin, but of course did not. But it's important for us to realize that Jesus was in this moment to not merely just be tempted by the enemy for victory or for defeat, but he was standing in place of all humanity. Now think about that for a moment. You have Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. God has told Adam what he cannot do. He cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Eve was deceived and Adam disobeyed. We see this in Genesis 3. Jesus was also tempted by the devil. They were tempted for humanity. Jesus now is being tempted for humanity. Adam and Eve had not yet sinned. The sinful nature had not been enacted, but the fall came upon all humanity as a result of their disobedience. Now Jesus was not corrupted by sin in this moment, and he claimed a victory for all of humanity. He stood in place for humanity, just like Adam and Eve, and he was redeeming back what was lost in the moment, which we read about in Genesis 3. We also read about the wilderness story where Israel comes out of Egypt, moved by God's mighty hand. They're being delivered into the promised land, but they're there for 40 years. So we see 40 years is significant. We have this number 40. Jesus is in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights, and he's fasting. And so the Israel did not do what God had them to do. Israel did not obey. That generation in the wilderness died off, and so we see that Jesus is also redeeming He's redeeming all of humanity in place of Adam and Eve. He's also redeeming his first covenant people in the 40 years in the wilderness where that was not uh, properly walked out, lived out. The next generation goes into the promised land as we read about in the book of Joshua and Judges. And so now we understand that Jesus not only came as the payment for our sins, but the pattern for our life. And he came to redeem. This is what he was doing in this moment. So we want to frame up that Jesus in living a sinless life was not personal, but it was on our behalf. Jesus dying was not personal, but it was on our behalf. Jesus rising from the dead was not personal, but it was on our behalf. His entire life, was given for us, not just at the end of his life. We have to understand he lived his entire life. He was born the way that he was for us to begin to start a new, not human race, but he was starting a new race of people that would be born again, people that would be of the spirit, born from above. The way that he lived, the things that he did was to redeem us back entirely, fully, and completely. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, that Jesus was tempted in every way, just like us. Therefore, he can sympathize with our weaknesses. We have a Savior. We have a high priest. We have a Lord that went through voluntarily what he did to redeem us back, but also to be as personal to us as, as absolutely possible. And this is so profound. This is so powerful for us to consider that Jesus went through everything that he did for us. Everything that he did, he went through it for you and for me. We read about in Matthew, we read three temptations in Matthew chapter four. The first one, temptation number one, the devil says, tell these stones to become bread. I always make a joke because I think I like bread. And so if you're a bread person... If you're not gluten-free, but you're gluten-full, you love gluten, you're all about the gluten, you love bread, this would be a serious temptation. We don't really understand what's being said here, but Jesus is is fasting, and so the devil is tempting him on based out of his physical, his human needs, and he's saying, tell these stones to become bread. If you're really the son of God, go ahead and do that in verse 3, and Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, this comes straight out of Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8. And what he's talking about is he's referring back to Exodus 16, where God provides for Israel with manna from heaven. And there was this reality that Israel needed to understand that it wasn't about bread, or it wasn't about trust and security and seed time and harvest, what they could make with their own hands. It was whatever God said. If God said I will cause it to rain bread from heaven, then God will do what he said he will do. It wasn't about what we could trust in. When we put something into the ground, we plant it, we water it, and then when the harvest comes, we know that we have enough that we put into the storehouse, and we can trust in our storehouse. We can trust in the work of our own hands. He's saying, listen, I do not need... To provide for myself in this moment. I don't need to perform a miracle. I don't need to provide for myself bread. I don't need to prove myself to you. All I need is a word from God. And if God says I'm going to rain bread from heaven, if God says I'm going to bring quail across the whole land, If God says that I'm going to bring food from a raven's mouth and drop it right in front of you, if God says that I'm going to have you strike a rock and water will come forth, listen, friends, that's exactly what God will do. And we've got to remember that God just simply will do for us what we need. He wants us to trust him. That's what the wilderness was all about. And that's what Jesus was reminding the devil of. It's not about some temptation. It's not about what I think I need. It's about me looking to God, trusting God, and knowing that God will provide for me. And he's actually saying that on behalf of all of us. He is saying that on behalf of all of humanity, that he will actually provide for us. God will take care of us. God knows what we need and he's got us. And so this temptation is squashed by the word of God, but it's also by the truth that goes beyond just the word by quoting the word. It's bigger than that. The second temptation is in Matthew chapter four and verse five through seven. And so the devil says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down uh, from this temple. And then he misquotes Psalm 91, 11, 12, like, you know, he will, he will, uh, this is what it says right here that he will command his angels concerning you on their hands, they will bear you up. And really, what he's, he's misquoting the Psalms. He's trying to test Jesus, he's trying to get Jesus to test the Father, right? That's the whole point here. And Jesus is like, listen, um, it is, not, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The scripture was not given for us to test God. It was given for us to trust God, all right? And so when we quote the word, we're not testing whether or not God will do it. We're trusting that God will take care of us and that he will do what he said he will do. Now, here's Jesus, the devil takes him up the pinnacle of the temple. It's 450 feet high, and he's just like, throw yourself down, you know, and if the scriptures are true, then you'll be fine. But Jesus is like, that's not how it works. Jesus is saying that whatever happens to me, I trust the Father. And he's saying this for humanity. Whatever happens to us, we can trust the Father. That's a word for us right now. now. No matter what we're facing or what it looks like, whether it was what we wanted or it's not, whether it were whether life is the way that we thought it could be should be want it to be or not we can trust the father we can always trust the father and scripture was given not for us to test god and say well you didn't do what you said it's to trust god and believe that he will do what he says and that's the disposition that jesus has that's the disposition that we need to have i want to remind you though in this passage that jesus is quoting about not testing the Lord from Deuteronomy chapter six. And that's where Moses, it's really God through Moses, is telling the children of Israel before they go into the promised land, that you, as you go into the promised land, you're gonna be tempted to worship other gods, the Canaanite gods, and he's saying, do not put the Lord your God to the test, right? Do not test the Lord, worship the Lord and serve him. Do not see how far you can go in all of these other things. Make sure that you stay true to to the word of God in your lives. Well, we also read about a third temptation, and that's in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 8, and the devil takes him, this is what it says, he took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus says to him, go Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And that also comes right out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this is really, this temptation where the devil can say, I'll give you everything. Jesus already has everything. And doesn't it remind you of Genesis 3, where the temptation of the devil to Eve and disobedience for Adam was to, was to try to convince them that God was not who they believed him to be. It was to distort the word of God. He said, God is holding back on you. He knows that if you take from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be like him, knowing good and evil. Here's the thing. Adam and Eve were already like God. They were created in his image according to his likeness. But God created human beings to be in the position of still needing God. We still need to rely upon Him, depend upon Him. We were created by Him and for Him. And so the temptation from the enemy was to be like God without God. It was to be autonomous. It was to be our own God. His convincing was the same right here. His temptation, His testing was, you can be disconnected from the Father and still have everything. In fact, the Father is holding out on you, and if you follow me, if you worship me, what's going to happen is you're going to have everything that you were supposed to have. You're going to have everything that God is holding back on you from. And this is actually, uh, again, a distortion of the word. We are not autonomous. We are not our own gods. We were not created unto ourselves, for ourselves, by ourselves. We were created by God, for God, in God, to walk in relationship with God, and our purpose Our design, our frame, is only found in relationship with Him. If you disconnect us from relationship with God, it doesn't make sense. We live, we survive, and we die, and that's it. What purpose is that? What purpose is that? Just to enjoy whatever we can out of this 50, 70, 80, maybe 90 years, depending on how long we get, that is no purpose at all. That is not why God made us, just to be, just to survive, just to extrapolate as much fulfillment and joy, however we define that, out of this life. That's not what it's about. And so temptations always come, and they come from the enemy to distort us and to persuade us to see things a different way. And I just wrote out some some thoughts that I have, some observations that I made based on this these moments of temptation between the devil and Jesus. And again, Jesus is standing in place of humanity. Jesus is standing in place of all of us. And so we can relate. We can resonate with what's happening here. And that's why I wrote out four things that I think are really important as we consider this passage. And the first one is that Jesus came to fully deliver us from our sin. As I said before, he stood in our place before temptation where we have failed as human beings. Adam and Eve failed we have failed. Jesus conquered sin. Jesus conquered the enemy on our behalf. His sinless life matters. And this is not a moment of personal victory over sin for Jesus. This is a moment of corporate victory over sin and the devil for all of us. When we trust Christ, when we're in Christ, when we receive his death, burial, resurrection, remember, we're also receiving his life The Bible says that he became sin, that we might be the righteousness of God in Christ. Why? Because he lived a sinless life. Anybody that ever messes with the sinless life of Jesus or the virgin birth of Jesus does not know what they are doing, and they are lying. That is a false teacher to act like the virgin birth and the sinless life of Jesus doesn't matter that much. It absolutely matters because who was on the cross matters. Was it a sinless sacrifice that takes away the sins of the world? Or was it just a man that was anointed at some point upon his baptism where the Holy Spirit comes upon him? Jesus was God the Son, and Jesus came to not only just die for our sins as an atonement for our sins in the moment that he did, but everything that he did was to redeem the effects of sin that we as human beings have wrought upon ourselves. He is the answer, the cure, the solution for all of us. And we see this in his life. In this moment, we see it. It's of paramount importance that we realize that this is him conquering sin and the effects of sin and the devil for us. He did what we could never do. He lived the life that we could not live. He died in our place He rose again to new life, proving that He was the Son of God, being the firstborn among the dead, being raised from the dead, knowing that those who trust and hope in Him will have life in His name and be raised from the dead as well. His life, His death, His burial, His resurrection, it all matters. And He came to fully deliver us from our sin. Number two, temptation is always centered around us. Now, this is just something that I was thinking about as I was reading this passage. It may not be the number one interpretation that you're supposed to get out of this, but I certainly felt like it was important. Jesus was tempted to perform a miracle to prove that he really was the son of God. You remember the devil tempts him. Throw yourself down from the temple. Prove that the father will take care of you. Prove that the word of God is true. Prove, prove, prove and he was tempted and that he was offered uh, everything in exchange. In this moment, it was about proving, him, proving himself um, or getting everything uh, for himself in exchange for what only belongs to God. Listen, it was all about if you throw yourself down um, or if you, the third temptation was he showed him everything. I'll give you all this if you just worship me. That's all you got to do. You just got to worship me. Every one of these temptations was about about Jesus proving himself or it was about Jesus getting something for himself in exchange for what he was to only give to the Father, which again is on our behalf, is that worship belongs to the Father. And so if we give it to the devil, then we'll get everything we want. Temptation is always like this. It is always about us. And the reason that I bring this up, because it is a discerning marker for us in Genesis 3 Eve was tempted, Adam disobeyed, and it was all centered around us. God's holding back on you. You will be like God knowing good and evil. You can be who you maybe God isn't allowing you to be. You 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 you. You can have all of this if you'll just compromise. If you'll just exchange what God gave you for what I'm giving you. If you know there's always going to be temptations, but our discerning factor is is it about us? Or is it about God and others? Sometimes these areas of sin can be gray in our lives. They're not just drastic and very clear. And in those moments, we need to be able to have discerning markers to know, is this thing that I'm going after? Is this thing that I want? Is this opportunity that's in front of me? Is it just solely about me? Is it all about me? Is it about what I get? What do I got to give in exchange in order to have this? I've had opportunities in my life, and I think you have as well. And when those opportunities come, what are they about? Are they always about me? When the Bible says in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. The word of God is true. When we put God first, then everything that we're supposed to have, we will have. God may make us wealthy and we may live content in just having enough. Whatever it might be doesn't matter. But if we pursue everything else, we may never know what we're giving exchange to have what we want. And we've gotta be careful because temptation will come to all of us. Number three is Jesus shows us how to overcome temptation. He's not just the payment for our sins, he's the pattern for our life. And Jesus overcomes temptation by the word of God. Remember we've been reading in Deuteronomy, we've been reading in Joshua, we've been reading in Judges, and all of those passages as the apostle Paul says it was written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages has come. We have the word of God. It was written to teach for teaching, reproof, rebuke, correction and training in righteousness that the man or woman of God might be equipped for every good work. We need the word of God, but I want to tell you, sometimes when people talk about spiritual warfare, they talk about dealing with temptation, they just say, you just need to quote the word. That's all you need to do. Actually, before we ever get to a place of quoting the word, we need to know the word. We need to know the word and we need to understand the word. You cannot rightly apply the word if you do not know it, And if you do not understand it, knowing it means you're familiar with it. I would say that's a regular practice of reading and digesting the word of God. That's what we're teaching in the daily word. We're saying you and I need to be in our Bibles. We need to read the word of God every day. I don't care if that sounds legalistic. It's not because we just do it. It's because we need it. If we need it, then we read it. Listen, if you need air, you breathe. You understand? If you need food, you eat. And if you need spiritual life and sustenance and strength and victory over the enemy, you got to read the word. And that's step one. It's not just reading it, but it's seeking to understand it. See, Jesus knew it. Jesus understood it. And Jesus applied it. See, we look at this and we think we just got to quote the word over the devil. That word's got to go deep inside of us where we're meditating upon it day and night, Psalm chapter one. And as we meditate upon it, then it is accessible in moments of temptation. Those moments of temptation are going to come. But what does the word of God say? The more our mind is shaped and renewed according to the word, the word will flow out of us in those moments and we will be able to stand on it, be strengthened by it and overcome the temptations in our life. See, listen, right now, if you're overcome by a sin, then you need to know that you can't just quote verses at it. Those verses are the strength and standard of what God has said and what God will do. But to get that word inside of you where it becomes the weapon, it's like a sword. You and I don't just need a sword. We need to know how to wield the sword. We need to know how to fight And so just having the sword does not mean that we're going to win. Can you imagine like getting into a fight with somebody that really knows how to wield a sword? You might have a bigger sword, a more powerful sword, but it doesn't mean that you know how to fight. And that's why knowing and understanding the word is important because the word is more powerful, but God is training us to wield it in a way where we always overcome, always overcome all temptation. He's provided a way out of all temptation. He's given given us what we need to overcome temptation. Jesus showed us how it is that it works. And we got to remember that the devil distorts the word. The reason that we need to know it and understand it when temptation comes is even to the point where the devil will appeal to our religious pride. See, right now there are people that will misinterpret the word all over the place. They'll misinterpret it. They'll misapply it. We're all tempted to do that for our own gain, for our own reasons, for our own agendas, we will take the word and we will make it say what we want it to say. And the fact is, it is not our word to distort, it is not our word to use for our own purposes. We have to make sure that as we read it and as we understand it, that we are that we are getting the purpose and the point of why it's been given to us. We're under it, it is not under us. We do not get to manipulate or distort the word. We have to have such humility when we take this word. This is not about us trying to prove something or get something or make anything happen. This is about us being under and subject to a higher authority. God himself gave us his word so that we might overcome, that we might have life in his name, that we might be able to hold on to his promises. But far too often, History has shown that men and women will take this book just like the devil did in this passage and we will use it for our own purposes. And that's what we cannot do. And so if we wanna overcome temptation, we have to remember we can't overcome temptation by just knowing the word and quoting it. We've gotta understand it because then we will rightly apply it. And so commit yourself. I wanna commit myself to rightly understanding the word. It's gonna require time. It's gonna require time. If I said, here's how you here's how you cure something, you said, hey, what will it take to cure this thing that is incurable? And I said, there is a cure. And you go, really, how? Well, it's gonna take an hour a day. Wouldn't you do it? Of course we would do it, whatever it takes. If it's an hour a day, if it's an hour and a half a day, and we've gotta learn in order to apply, we would do it. We would do whatever it took to cure the incurable, to deal with the thing that we've, we have no idea how to deal with outside of, of a person offering us that cure. God has offered us a cure. He's offered us victory every time over temptation in our life. That may, maybe that's not where you're at today. Maybe that's not where I'm at today. The Word of God is a standard, and it isn't to prove that, I, that I'm not where I should be. It's to show, you, show us where we can be, See, we war with the word until the word becomes our experience. Sometimes people read this and they go, "Man, that that sucks. I don't live like this. I don't act like this. I don't I I don't know if I'll ever be like this." We're misunderstanding why we have it. We have it as a standard. It's a promise where God is causing us to grow up into the word so we can Trust it, rely upon it, understand it, apply it. And as we do, we will grow from glory to glory, from grace to grace, become more like Jesus Christ. And the word... Is is that place that we see that we we are warring? We have this word as a promise, and we are warring with that word, saying, "This is what God said. This is what He this is who He said I am. This is what He said I can do. This is what He told me my life is about." And when we do that, we war with the word until it becomes our experience. We will find victory again and again and again, and the devil cannot win. Come on, you find victory again and the devil cannot win that rhymes that's powerful you love it you like it say amen go ahead wherever you are in Jesus name and the last thing i want to share with you today is resisting temptation is worship i don't know if you heard that but this is really a powerful point and it was just the final thing i was thinking about here we have this moment where it looks like this this paramount scene of of two people dueling it out. Really, that's not it at all. It's Jesus standing in place for all humanity, knowing and confidently confidently knowing who he is. I mean, the, the, the devil was a created being. We're talking about the eternal son of God here, okay? So this, for us, we see it kind of humanly, but really, if we could pull back the curtain and see what this truly looks like, we'd realize that this wasn't about Jesus as an individual and the devil as an individual. It's not what it's about. But what we realize is that Jesus shows us something here. The devil is trying to get our worship. He's trying to get our affection, our devotion. He wants to distort God in order to turn us to him in whatever way possible. We don't have to just be devil worshipers. That's not really what, what how it works usually. But if we give ourselves to idols, if we give ourselves to lesser things, regardless of what those things are, it's a sense of of giving our worship away rather than to God, to serve him only and to worship him as he deserves. And what's important for us is that there will always be Temptations to give our affections and our vote, our first love away, always. And what we need to be reminded of today is that worship, worship is about choosing God in the midst of options. See, today we have every option available to us, every option of every kind, in every way, in every category. And God wants our allegiance, our alliance, our affection, our devotion. He calls us, he invites us. He does not coerce us, he will not make us. God calls us and invites us. He gives us a word, his word to show us. Worship is where we are living sacrifices. We lay down our choices. We lay down our affections to the person of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we are worshiping God with our entire life. We can go years of raising our hands and singing out loud and all of that's great if it's the overflow of our heart and it's the truth of our life, all of that's great. But if in our private places and in our own lives, when we walk away from church gatherings or or an hour and a half during a certain service or whatever it is, when we walk away from that and we don't offer God our lives, it's not real worship. It's gotta be connected. Our life, our profession has to be connected to our lifestyle and this is what it's all about. When we choose God in the midst of options, it is real worship. That is real worship. Obedience is real worship. And I'll tell you what, nothing angers the devil more than when we really worship God with our choices, because that's what temptation is. It's, it's tempting us to choose something other than God, His purposes and His ways. And it really is giving away some of our worship. That's what temptation is. It's not just about the sin that you and I commit. It's that path. It's to get us off the path of laying down our lives as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable spiritual act of worship. This is what it's all about. And so here's all these options. And the enemy is trying to confuse us, choose this, 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 and even make some of them look like, hey, they're not even sinful. Sometimes they don't look that sinful in the way we define sin, but they're not what God wants us to give ourselves to. And so remember this, temptation is an opportunity to worship God and choose Him in the midst of every option. When we do that, we not only follow the example of Jesus Christ, but we are an example to others about what it means to follow Jesus and all the principalities and powers and demons in hell, whoever can see what that was, whoever whoever can see that moment, it's proving that Jesus Christ is Lord in our lives. And we worship him and we serve him only. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray that God would strengthen us today, help us to know the word, understand the word, employ the word in our lives, overcome all the temptation, just break the shackles of anything that binds us today. I believe God can do that. I believe he is doing that and he will do that in our lives. But pray with me today as we close. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord for Jesus' example, his sacrifice, his resurrection. Lord, we thank you today that as he lived his life, he lived on our behalf. He was sinless on our behalf. He faced temptation on our behalf. He He overcame on our behalf. He's the overcoming one. He's the deliverer. It's his life. And as we are in Christ, we too overcome. It's not just that we will, it's that we already have. And so now, Lord, we pray that we could appropriate the victory of Jesus Christ in our everyday lives. God, I pray that you would focus us on what it means to worship you with our lives laid down every day, day in and day out, that we wouldn't just think of repentance as turning from, but it's turning to. We turn to you today, and we give you our ne- we give you our today, we give you our future, we put everything in your hands, and we ask you to lead us. I pray this passage of scripture would be an example to overcome. I pray if any of us are struggling with some habitual sin break its shackles break the power of it break the label over us we thank you right now that we have victory in your name not because we're strong or because we know better or because maybe today we have a good day lord we we have you and that's all we need you overcame sin you overcame hell you overcame the grave you overcame the devil on our behalf we appropriate that truth today break shackles all over this region Everyone that's watching, break the power of sin in our lives. We devote ourselves to you and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.